0: to the timeless lore podcast i'm your co-host
1: joshin and i'm your co-host adam and this is season two of the timeless lore podcast so joining us today in studio we have a very special guest jack hello so before we jump into our topics we will be playing a uh, magical mystery tour by the beatles yep and from that album we'll be playing strawberry fields forever and this will be today's old song
2: Understanding.
1: And that was Strawberry Fields Forever by, of course, the Beatles. So, for our first topic today, we will have, Orc, my co-host, Ushin.
0: So, hi. Uh, I'm going to be discussing a popular theory on the uh, ship, the TIE Fighter from Star Wars, and that they weren't very good. So, if you didn't know... Uh, the Tie Fighter is a ship used by the Empire in Star Wars to maintain control. It's they have thousands of them who chase after people that they don't like, essentially. Um. So, keep, you have to keep in mind that this is basically the entire of the Empire's navy. I know they have ATATs and several other um like attributes to their army, but this is the main part. So you'd want the main part of your army, the stuff that you're going to throw at your problems. To be well designed, but the theory I'm discussing is that they're awful and that they were actually the reason for the downfall of the Empire that happens later in the Star Wars originals. So, uh, um, if you didn't... So, first of all, uh, in the original movies, with all we basically see from the TIE Fighters is the Rebels do something to the Empire and the Empire throws a couple TIE Fighters at the problem and they manage to escape. Now, the TIE Fighters are awful. And every st- Star Wars fan knows this from the movies, but at least from my experience and from people I've talked to. I've never really questioned it. I've just always seen it as the fact that, oh, the good guys get to win. You know, it's it's just how it works. But I re- I realized later, and from stuff I've read online, and from other people who theorize about it, um, is, is that they're pretty bad, so. Uh, before I talk about the many cons, I just want to talk about one pro which I think I have is that, since they have a lot of them, they can redirect the rebels. As in, if the rebels want to go somewhere and you throw a couple of tie fighters at them, they're probably going to run away. Yeah. But let's start off. So, the f- Once the empire was established by Darth Vader and Darth Sidious, or um, Emperor Palpatine, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, um, many resistances formed, like, and. They, these ships, um, by the way, the TIE fighter and all Star Wars air combat is, um, based on dogfighting from World War II. But, um, the, the Grand Moff Tarkin, who worked in the Empire, noticed that they're building a lot of ships because all the combat takes place in space. And these ships are, like, in my opinion, of quality. Much more quality than the TIE fighters. But the Empire's, are starting off, the empire's economy is just growing. Yeah. It can't really, it it doesn't, for the stuff they're building, for example, the Death Star and Conquering the Galaxy, they don't want to spend too much money on the ships. Like, since the re- these resistances have um, several planets uh, unbeknownst to the Empire, they can take the resources and build these ships of quality. But Grand Moff Tarkin needed something snappy and quick, so he developed a cheap ship, the TIE Fighter. Now, the TIE Fighter gets its name from its Twin Ion Engines, T-I-E the TIE Fighter, um, it has green, it, it has two cannons which fire green lasers, it's pretty quick, I'd say it's it's, 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 uh, it's of average speed compared to the rest of the ships, but it's small, so it's pretty agile, um, now, uh, a couple bad things about the TIE Fighter, so if you see from the ships of the Resistance, first of all, they have a full glass view, of the front of them, and even of the back of them, if they want to turn around. The TIE Fighter doesn't have this. It has a circular view, but nothing from the back. And it's plated with steel, which only gives a couple windows to see. So this makes the TIE Fighter really vulnerable from
1: to surprise attacks. Yeah, I've always thought of the t- TIE Fighter as a bit of a... It's kind of like a mosquito or something. It, it only really annoys the Rebels, but yeah. the TIE Fighter... Like... It's, on the, if you, the pilots around the TIE Fighters, I think they're just, like, stormtroopers and black helmets. And yeah. I don't think, they're really just mosquitoes. They annoy you, but they don't actually do anything. They never yeah. achieve anything.
0: All they do is redirect the rebels. Really, yeah, uh, that's it. So, uh, on top of this horrible window, um, if you didn't know, the Empire, this is just kind of tied in to the fact that, like, uh it's just kind of a jab at, like, big corporation not um, being kind and giving their workers, like, yeah. good facilities. And this is also what happens in the TIE Fighter. Because the TIE Fighter has no life support. There's no oxygen tanks in it. So the for- the workers, like, if you look at the rebels, all they have is a helmet with a visor. um So they can see perfectly out their full glass window. But the people in the TIE Fighter have to wear a Stormtrooper helmet. And they only have two eyes of view. Because they re- they need an oxygen mask, bec- because there's no oxygen in the TIE Fighter. Because they're produced so cheaply. So, the lasers are low quality. You can barely see out of them, um, with the mask and the plate. And you're vulnerable to surprise attacks. Um, and also, I mean, you can tie it into the fact that, since the stormtroopers are basically just cheap humans, like repurposed clones, and just the chip, I know, I know there's a couple of theories on, like them having chips implanted in their brains to kind of make them more cooperative and it's kind of made them them them, but the pilots were always terrible the lasers seem cheap so they don't fire as quickly, they have a much like, less <laughs> this, this has nothing to do with their power, but there's a much less intimidating colour than the rebels and the no vision and the no life support even really, it it was just a terrible ship. The only pro is that, since they're so cheap, they're able to produce, like, millions of them to just throw at any problem. But, and the reason for this is that Grand Tarkin wanted to fight the quality ships being produced from their resource-rich um, planets that multiple small resistances were building um, with just quantity, like millions and thousands of TIE fighters. Um, but I don't think it really worked. And, like, the thing is, if you think about it, Like, in the original Star Wars movies, um, so the original trilogy, um, most of the fighting takes place in space. In the Millennium Falcon, they're being chased by TIE Fighters. This was really the only threat they ever encountered. They encountered a lot more, but, like, whilst travelling, they were only really, um, running from TIE Fighters. This was the only thing the Empire were really standing at. Yeah. But these TIE Fighters were awful. (laughs) Like... They let the Rebels get away so many times because the Rebels could either fly to a blind spot and blow them up or the TIE Fighters would just lose sight of them.
1: Yeah.
0: And, th- like, I'm not saying that um, they weren't able to... I wasn't saying, like, that since they were so bad, they didn't add to the fight. No, the Rebels had no chance against the Empire. They, the, I mean, the way they blow up the Death Star is very cheap. But the fact that the TIE Fighters, like they couldn't eliminate them when they were weak like when they were running away because they just couldn't aim properly um, it's just it's it's like it's just really i know it didn't i know they're like them being bad it didn't really s- like stop the empire but it sure is it it surely um, saved the lives yeah. of han and luke and friends many a time flying the millennium
1: yeah. oh i must say i think if he made that, if the empire was very efficient, which it, well it's not in the movies, and like even heroes would be destroyed a lot of times. But I think I think it's more of a writing tool that they made it purposely incompetent. But I do no, I do get what you mean. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the points you bring up are good. That they're just very poorly designed and it's like they're destined to fail, which I suppose they are because they're not the main stars. So what do you think, Jack? Uh,
3: would you say that they were a kamikaze ship?
1: Yeah, definitely. Built to Built to not, just
3: yeah. throw out
0: the problem and die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that sentiment. But I yeah. I'd say it's the reason that the empire's f- uh, the empire fell. Not for the reason you would think, but just the fact that they they were the things that were supposed to kill the resistance, like the heroes, and they never could do it. <laughs> like they always failed. Yeah. Um so like overall, I think that the reason i was just covering that the reason the empire fell was something as insignificant as a small tie fighter and i just want to bring awareness to it because at least this is this may not be the same for you guys but i never really thought too much on the tie fighter i just thought that it was a case of like, writing that the the heroes had to win, so the TIE Fighters would just magically mess up all the time. But no, like, I can actually see that it's not a writing thing. The TIE Fighters were very poorly designed. yeah. And, e- like, th- even if you make the argument it's quantity over quality, like, that the Empire is trying to deal with, they should have thrown more TIE Fighters at the problem. Like, when they're getting chased, I don't think we ever get them see... We, we ever see them get chased more than, like, six, max.
1: Yeah, I must, I must say, whenever there's a big cruiser ship on screen, it always shows, like, hundreds upon hundreds of toy totally. coming here. Yeah. But when it comes to them chasing the Millennium there's like Falcon, two. there's, like, four, <laughs> and then they crash into each other, and they crash into the meteor, yeah. and the other one just... Yeah, I think the pilots kind of incompetent, and even the, the pilots
0: sh- are goons. They, they have no way to aim, and yeah. they're completely. They have a
1: very, um, big weakness in their blind spot. Even I think the design itself is just. It feels like very fragile. You know, even if it was more compact, but no, it has these two big wings, and if one of them even gets scratched, yeah. the entire design is compromised. It's very weak. Yeah. It's
0: meant to be like agile, but this design ends up making it weak. But that's all I really have to say on the the Tie Fighter. Um, I just wanted to bring awareness to the theory.
1: Yeah, um so I don't believe we've really discussed Star Wars before um, on the podcast. So that's definitely interesting. Star Wars must be something we have to revisit. Um, yeah, any closing thoughts? I mean, um, I think I've expressed mine. <laughs> yeah, um definitely, we must discuss uh, more Star Wars in the future. And maybe it makes you think, did the Empire uh did the Empire just <laughs> didn't The Empire was destined to
0: succeed, but their navy was destined to fail.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, so now we have enemy by Imagine Dragons, which was requested
1: <coughs> by a fan. <coughs> yeah. So yeah, remember, send in emails to our Timeless Lore podcast at gmail.com.
4: I wake up to the sounds of the silence that allows For my mind to run around with my ear up to the ground I'm searching to behold the stories that I told When my back is to the world, I'm smiling when I turn and that was
1: enemy by imagine dragons and that is our requested song whose request that request came from our emails so remember send an email to timelesslorepodcast at gmail.com yeah you're,
0: you you have a very good chance of getting your song played
1: yeah uh, actually, we have got a few emails requesting topics uh, for us to do, and in fact, we will have a special episode later on in the season, probably episode five, where we, where we will we, where we will bring back three topics from season one. So, if you want to send an email or commented comment your three favorite topics from season one that you want to see return, I know, a few people already have said they want the robot will robots take over the world, or your jobs? So we're probably going to bring that one back. So just remember, we'd love to hear your opinions on things. So now for the second topic of the day, which is a discussion.
0: It's our guest, Jack.
3: Hello. Uh, Today I'll be talking about which is better, country life or city life? Uh, I'm on the side of country life because I think it is safer because you're not as exposed to drugs or getting mugged as in, as you are in the city. Uh, being in the country also brings you closer to nature and gives you a big place to play, so you've more land and less like you're not cooped up in an apartment. Or you need more
0: freedom. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more, more, more space to do whatever you want, whether it be build or just for leisure or go go
1: karting down a hill. No. <laughs>
3: Uh, the cons of living in the country is you're far away from your friends and you don't get to see them as much whereas if you're living in a state your friend could live next to you and you could play whenever you want
1: yeah so you live out in the country right Eric? yeah so do you face any of these struggles yourself
3: sometimes <clears throat> like I don't have many friends over that much because they're all kind of live far away from me
0: oh
1: yeah 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 um,
0: hi. I I just want to say something. Um, I think a good thing. I think you're right that a good thing about the country is that you like there's way less bad people. who are way less likely to come into danger. But I think a con of it is that if you do fall into danger, I think you are in much more danger. Because say for example, if you live in an estate state in the city, I don't think many people will come to rob your house because there's tons of people there. If they hear something like that. Everyone will go outside, report it, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but whereas if it's in the country, you know, you could kind of use the expression: no one's there to hear you scream. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's like like, that's when a lot of farm deaths happen because they could be out in the fields doing something, and they could be in hurt, and then no one would see them for hours until they don't come back for a while.
0: So it's, but I think since you're way less likely to fall into danger, this isn't much of a
3: problem. Yeah, (coughs) you're farther away from hospitals and ambulances, so it takes longer to get there, which could be life-threatening.
0: And especially in America, because I don't know, I don't know if it's just like $50 for the ambulance
1: just by itself, but I don't know if they charge more for more travel, they might. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely it's a lot more, even for the fire brigade or any services at all even to get take him, you know you, you still have to you have to lot right further.
3: yeah the civilization is a lot farther away like, yeah. yeah
0: so i think what uh, what you could say is really that um you need to kind of be prepared to build your own civilization so you need to have a lot of land and you need to like it's a good place for families i think like yeah it's, they can build a big house for lots of space for the children to play and then like they basically don't need the city as much whereas if yeah. it's a smaller yeah. family with a smaller house They'll need the city more. Yeah. Yeah, because um,
3: they won't have, like, fields to build, crops. Like, yeah. yeah. they'd have food then, like...
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot... Uh, you see, you hear a lot about richer people living in the country, or it's a farmer, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Um, you, c- you have a lot more space to build a big house, you know? You don't have to worry about estates being built or anything. Yeah. And you can be as loud as you want. Yeah.
1: It's basically... It's your own... <laughs> it's your own world out there. Yeah. yeah. Now, I must say that... I'm not sure which side I'm on but to for city life I think there are of, some obvious cons being that you've less space less privacy maybe possibly yeah, more you, more you, chance of you, danger you, but you can't stay up till 8 screaming and shouting yeah, yeah. but um, I would say like, it's really convenient when your school is 5 minutes away no yeah, and basically it, it allows you to have a lot more independence as well because if you grow up on the countryside you spend most of your time in the countryside while in the city you, like, you can roam around a lot because you know your way around
0: yeah I think another thing about the con- the city pro, is that you're exposed to a lot more culture and stuff whereas like you hear the stereotype the people living in the country are like sometimes you can hear a stereotype they're like kind of stupid yeah like they don't insensitive you know? yeah, yeah and like and whereas in the city you're exposed to a lot more. i don't really agree that the, the people are out there as you but i think definitely like you might learn a lot more from being in the city you yeah. might just learn yeah. more about like in a way like people call it street smarts like taking the bus and stuff yeah, yeah. and you, you 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 i think there's
1: a lot more information to gather yeah that you available and it's, yeah. it's definitely like when Everything is near five minutes away rather than half an hour. Away. It's a lot easier. You feel that like your day is a lot more productive and You know if you want to meet a friend you might not only be traveling 10 minutes 15 minutes and you know that that's Yeah, that's easy and even sometimes like um If you're around the country you might be reluctant to take a big trip into the city, so you know, you sometimes you might I've run out of something and you just don't want to take the trip and it's just a hindrance to you
3: yeah because uh people in the country are probably more of an introvert than an extrovert because yeah. they wouldn't be around people a lot
1: i think a con-
0: i think the country uh is in imp- my consensus would probably be that um the country is better for like richer big families like yeah. parents who have stable jobs now because for example they probably won't need as much civil service help like ambulances and stuff they might be able to treat their kids a little bit not saying that they'd be doctors or anything but i think the kids would be exposed to less danger because they'd be adults you can experiment more with your land you can build more stuff and um it's a good it's a really good place for your children to play um the only problem i'd say for the family is that the school is far away but even so you can stock up on supplies if it's a big house you'll have to take that trips i think the city is good for like people when they're young like in their 20s and stuff they can get exposed to a lot of culture and have really productive days if they're trying to make money to save up to maybe live a country life when they're kind of trying to settle down in life yeah Yeah. but i I don't think you generally wouldn't hear about like young people like just moving
1: out to the country unless that's where they were raised Mm. yeah and i do think that maybe more so even important than like the situation of schools is that for a lot of parents living on the country it's work that's the real struggle and I know, obviously before COVID, I know that um, a few of the teachers that t- taught my old school, they had to come nearly an hour and a half every day down from Connemara and from <laughs> up north. And that's uh, ha- you know, an hour and a half every day to be at of school at eight o'clock. So what's that? You have to get up at six? Yeah, leave at yeah. half six that's there that's kind of crazy and that's every single day some people yeah. it
0: could even be five thirty. a lot of people take a really long time yeah. yeah and
1: even um you have to go into a busy city for your work and not, o- not only teachers but like like it's a big struggle if you have to travel uh, that far just to get into a regular day of work, just to make your commute. Yeah. The country,
0: they're both in a way more comfortable. Like, the country, you can do anything you want. You can go outside at 5 a.m., and start screaming and shouting, running around. <laughs> but in, in the in the city, like, you, you're a lot more... It's comfortable because you're around a lot more people. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I'd want to live in the country just by myself. And you're mm. closer to stuff. But if you have your family out in the country, you have everything you need, you have your land... I don't... The only con I see is being far away. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's a really good place for kids to grow up, at the very least. But I I don't think they should... I, th- I don't really think it'd be good for someone to stay in the country their entire life. I think it... I think that you should probably spend the younger part of your life, and I mean, like, young adult. Like, maybe 16 to... 16 to, like, 30. Like, just... Or 16 to even, like, 40 or 50. Just, um, like, roaming... They're yeah. like roaming the world you know experiencing culture and stuff and then when you finally want some peace and tranquility and you have
1: enough money because you've been working for all these years you can settle down in the yeah. country and have your own world yeah there's definitely a part of me that likes the idea of maybe not solitude in itself but just sitting in a house far away from everyone you know surrounded by the beauty of nature It, it's very appealing I would say it's very appealing to others but it's it's just very impractical yeah and the so, view is nice yeah. as well I would say a balance is good because I think if you've okay take the example of raising a child I think I, I would prefer to raise a child out like the country but you'd have to make sure that you you know you expose you your stop. child to friends you make sh- you know, you expose your child to culture you expose your child to the outside world because if a child only knows... The country. Only knows the country. That's where the
0: stereotype of country farm, yeah. uh, country people all being
1: farmers and being
0: stupid y- comes from. It's not true, but that I think that's its origin. Yeah. yeah. I think my overall consensus is the country is a lot of hard work and you need a lot of supplies mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's, it can be difficult being so far away, but if you have the stuff necessary, I think it can be really good. Yeah. The city's a lot easier, but I think... And it's a lot more convenient because a, a less people are gonna have all the stuff necessary to live in the country. But it's a lot easier.
1: And lot I think more, yeah. I think it's av- available, and I think it's more practical for a lot of people. It's a lot more expensive, like definitely, a lot of like for example, the argument I made with coming in uh, for work, that doesn't really apply to a lot of households because of COVID now. Uh, like although working from home, like you're forced to work from home, is ended. A lot of people now work from home that they just never went back into the offices just cause it's a lot more practical yeah. just to stay at home it's a lot more comfortable
0: sitting your laptop in a dressing gown you know yeah,
1: yeah. that's yeah that, that it's definitely but still for people who need to show up like teachers it's still very hard yeah. um one more thing i'd like to say is that i think cost of living has gone up a lot in the city and that's mm-hmm. why i think overall i'd go with country
0: check. Yeah. Would you yeah. go with country? Yeah, I would and go. I think I'd go with country
1: So that's a triple uh, win for country So th- th- I think that's our consensus here And uh, we don't usually come to consensuses um, With these c- uh, kind of discussions But there you go um, Okay so next up From the uh, album Cracker Island by Gorillaz This is the last song we'll play by them We have Tarantula
0: Tarantula by the Gorillas Now uh, Sorry Now discussing our final topic of the day We have my co-host Adam
1: Yes so Now recently um, we got an email Again reminding you Send in emails uh, We got an email from a friend of mine Who said that we weren't doing enough Old topics as of course Our motto is all that was On all that will ever be So um here it is. I'm doing an old topic. So today I will be discussing Hannibal Barca. Um you may recognize the name. You may not. Um I'd I'd assume the latter, but uh, Hannibal Barca lived in Roman times in antiquity in about in the 200s of BC. And he is one of the greatest military generals of all time. Um so I'm going to talk about his legacy um, his various battles and how amazing he really was and his strategy and how he lives on today so to give some background um, so Rome at this point was still in its Republic stage not in its Empire and it was made The leadership in Rome was divided every year into two consuls and um, consuls were like two prime ministers and they shared rule for one entire year So at this point the Roman Republic was in its stage of growth and this meant that uh, the Romans had just conquered Italy and they were moving into territories like Greece and France which was then occupied by the Celts um, and in about 300 BC the first Punic War began between the Celts um, who were known as the Gauls at that point um, and the Romans and they fought for many many years but the Romans eventually triumphed and they annexed the Alps pushing the Celts out and about 50 years later the Romans made an incursion into Sicily which was currently which was then rule by the Carthaginians. The, Car- the Carthaginians were traditionally the brothers of the Romans as legend says that um, two brothers fled the wreckage of Troy Um, from the Iliad um, and one brother landed in Italy and the other brother landed in Africa. One brother was eventually the descendant of Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome and the other brother landed in Africa and he founded the state of Carthage and Carthage was a trading empire and it spread very rapidly from about Tunisia and Libya and basically all its wealth was built around this one city Carthage and it had a big port and it had influence from about Britain to Egypt and Syria and even up near parts of Russia so it was the lar- it had the largest expanse of influence in the world Carthage at that point and it wasn't even a military state it was a trading state um yeah which was very unusual at the time so after this incursion into Sicily was made. Uh, the Romans and the Carthaginians sparked the Second Punic War. So you can clearly see that since
0: Carthage was solely just really, from what it's known to the public, was just um, a trading empire. So to go up against Rome um, at that time, the one the greatest battle empires with revolutionary, at least like in their weapons, yeah uh, a different fighting style. For example, the stabbing of the spear. And the bulky shield you know like going up against them <laughs> i don't think without the any information anyone would be on their side yeah no one would think that they had any
1: chance uh but at that point carthage was debatably stronger as it had influence not armies but influence yeah it's a better a better empire but again i i was just referring to the military yeah. strength so the romans fought the Carthaginians in Sicily for many years until it came to a stalemate where about half of Sicily was under Roman occupation so Carthage as I mentioned had huge influence and they had the Iberians who lived in Spain and the Celts who lived in France join forces with them to finally kick the Romans out and this was pretty much the start of the Punic War and the Punic War uh, Punic it comes from a Latin word but it kind of means the areas around the Alps um, and basically that's where most of the conflict uh, was, most of the conflict uh, was on. So Hannibal's father oh, I forget his name I believe his name was Marival or something um, he fought the Romans for pretty much all his life from when he was about 17 and when he died on his deathbed, Hannibal, his young son, vowed that he would kill every last Roman that walked Italy and walked the earth and he would avenge his father's death. Fueled by vengeance. Fueled by vengeance. So Hannibal himself was born in 247 BC and in 218 BC he, with an army of about 30,000 made up of war elephants, Africans, Iberians from Spain and Gauls, Came up, uh, up the coast of Spain into the Alps, and went right down, charging for Rome, and the first main conflict, of the Second Punic War, was, at the River Trebia, in two hundred and eighteen BC.
0: I think um, from what you can see, for example, like Britain in the Second World War, a sense of confidence. I, this this is gonna sound stupid, but a sense of like confidence, even when it doesn't seem apparent, like. For example, this really faked. I think this attack, just outward, ballsy attack, yeah, really faked out the Romans. Like um, the Romans did not. They expected the conflict yeah. in Sicily, and um, just and just a straight out push. Like, um, I think you can do a lot in war. I think uh, you, you know you have to expect the
1: unexpected, and the Romans uh, didn't follow yeah. this. So after Hannibal, in, in Legend, the way, their
0: confidence yeah. kind of shot themselves in the knee.
1: Yeah, so the Romans definitely expected a conflict in Sicily. So, as Oshin said, Hannibal made a ballsy move by taking Carthaginian African war elephants through the snowy Alps. Mm. Never seen before. And along with the Celts, he had an army of 30,000 men. And he was met on the River Trebia by uh, one of that year's consuls, Tiberius Separinus. And he had 42,000 men, so Hannibal was outnumbered by quite a lot. And Hannibal destroyed the Romans on the River Trebia. And he did this by a simple battle tactic. While the Romans relied on brute strength to break through the enemy, with a centre being the main focus of the battle, Hannibal put all his weak troops in the centre and stacked up his his flanks with his cavalry and his heavy infantry. That meant when the Romans charged, they quickly broke through the Carthaginian centre, but they were enveloped by the flanks. It was a massacre. Only about 300 Romans made it out from the battle, and they had thought they had won because they had broken through the centre, but the rest of the army enveloped them. The River Trebia was our first great victory, and it spurred a lot of Carthaginians and a lot of volunteers to join Hannibal's army. Sadly, after the River Trebia, none of the elephants made it. So the second greatest, or the second battle in the Punic War, happened way down south, nearly, at uh, down in the heart of Italy, and it was called the Battle of Lake Trasimene in two hundred and seventeen B.C. At this point, Hannibal had been in Italy for a year, so, at that point, um, the consul for that year, um, Gaius Flaminius was pursuing the Carthaginians through the Italian countryside. And at this point, the Carthaginians had about 50,000 men, which the Romans did not think was true. They thought uh, their scouts were bloating up the numbers. So the Romans pursued them with 25,000 heavy infantry. Cannibal, seeing that he was about to get enveloped by a second army, which was up north, decided to hide in the trees next to the Lake Trasimine. When the Romans came to pursue him, they did not see his men in the forest. And when they were crossing a path next to the lake, Hannibal ordered an attack. 25,000 25, Romans went for a stroll next to a beautiful lake that day. Not one made it happen. Mm. Hannibal killed them all. And this was the biggest, 50,000 men, that's the biggest ambush of all time that the world has ever seen. The biggest ambush of all time. A great battle. There's certainly a, pat- a
0: pattern of just confidence and unpredictability with good leaders. Like, who would have thought, you know, I know, like, I know it was an organized ambush, but, like, in the force, that leaves you really weak to yeah. a turnaround. Your troops are very scattered if they want to hide well. And the fact that just the element of surprise all around and total confidence
1: massacred the Romans twice. Yeah. it's 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 amazing. Yeah. And the third and greatest feat of Hannibal was the Battle of Cannae, which happened another year later. And this happened in the south of Italy. By this point, Hannibal knew he was not powerful enough to take Rome itself. Instead, he was just looting the, uh, the countryside, attacking smaller villages and waiting for Roman armies to attack him. At this point, Hannibal wasn't really doing that much damage. That's why he went to the south to, to try, destroy the port towns, which were funding the war in Sicily. So, in 216 BC, came the Battle of Cannae, which was the biggest loss for the Romans in history. Um, The Romans, under Gaius Tartanius and Lucius Aemilius, marched an army of near 100,000. Now, these were the two consuls for this year, and Gaius Tartanius was a seasoned war veteran, while Lucius Aemilius was only a rookie, a foolhardy rookie, and... Lucius Amilius was given control of the army, a mistake, which was a mistake, and the 100,000 Romans went onto a big field, expecting to crush the 50,000 Carthaginians, which was over half the size of the Roman army, and Hannibal did what he did best, he enveloped the Romans, and about 5,000 uh, Carthaginians died that day, about seventy to 80,000 Romans died, and that was fourteen percent of Rome's uh, current uh, male population. And to put that in perspective, only nine percent of all German males died in the entirety of World War One and World War Two combined. While in one battle, fourteen percent of all Roman males died. Mm. But as all all things comes to an end, and Hannibal was eventually forced out of Italy, and. Over um, over fifteen years later, in two hundred and two B.C., he won the battles, but he did not win the war. No, yeah. Um, Hannibal had retreated back into Africa, and he once again made a new army for himself. But this time, he was pursued by. He was for the first time the Romans made an incursion into Africa, under Publius Scipio Africanus. And earlier that very same year, uh, the Carthaginians' biggest allies, the Numidians, who lived right next to them in Africa, portrayed them to side with the Romans. And this was the main source of cavalry in Han- Hannibal's army. So um, Ar- Scipio, Africanus, and the Numidians closely beat Hannibal at the Battle of Zama, And that was the end of Carthage. In one close battle uh, in Empire Africa, that
0: kicked the Rona, the Romans in their pants, fell.
1: Yeah, the city of Carthage was burned. Their trading routes destroyed. They would never recover. Hannibal himself died, um, unknown, a few years later, in a court in Turkey, where he committed suicide, in uh, in the court of the king of Batina, and that was the end of what could have been the greatest military general of all time, if it wasn't for the Battle of Zama. There it is. I hope you learned something today. Yeah, I I mean, we can see from that that, um, you know, battles can be.
0: battles under good generals can be unpredictable, you know? He took the Romans um, out of pure, like out of the blue, so many times, but he eventually fell to the same thing. Yeah. Just a a completely out of the blue, unpredictable loss for the Carthaginians. Uh, Yeah.
1: So, remember. Uh, this was a great episode um, and remember to email yeah. us
0: if you want topics we're, yeah. l- we're looking to get more feedback from the fans uh, so we're going to thank our guest Jack for joining us today yeah, we yeah. hope no to see you in the future yeah. and remember the clock is burning because it's time for time to Lore we'll see you in the next one